All right, thank you so much for praying tonight and for being here at our church service. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and let's stand as we turn uh, to the book of 2 Kings chapter number 18. 2 Kings chapter number 18. Let's stand, please, as we read God's word with honor and respect. And look around, if you could, uh, around you to see if there's somebody who doesn't have a Bible that you could share your Bible with. As we read 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. All right, if you're there, say amen. amen. Second Kings chapter number 18. The Bible says, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem, his mother's name also was Abihi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from the following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord uh, commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria, and served them not. He smote the Philistines, even unto Gaza, and the borders thereof, from the tower of the watchmen to the fence cities. Would you read verse number 4 with me out loud? And then after that, we'll have a word of prayer. We'll let you be seated, and we'll dive into our message tonight. Verse 4, all together, read it with me, ready, begin. He removed the high places, and break the images, and cut down the groves, and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. Tonight we're going to preach a message entitled, Nehushtan, It's Just Brass. And I hope that tonight the message will be a challenge and a help to your spiritual walk, and that it will be a blessing to you, and that it will encourage you to be more faithful uh, to our Lord God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you again for our time of, of prayer. Thank you for the good report from Brother Keith Stensis uh, through his letter. And thank you, Lord, that we uh, can uh, study tonight your word uh, freely in this country. Thank you so much for the word of God that we can have and, and study so that we could learn more about you and what you expect of us and how to live our lives for your honor and for your glory. Tonight, would you open our minds, would you open our thoughts to understanding what this passage teaches. Holy Spirit, we invite you to search our hearts, Lord. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, bring to our thoughts exactly uh, the right application towards this message. We pray that you'd feed our souls spiritually. We pray that you'd challenge us. We pray that you'd prevent us from any sinful decisions. We pray, Lord, that you would even use us to, to share this message to other uh, Christians who uh, may need it. And we pray, Lord, that you would just bear much fruit through the, through the message tonight. We pray, Lord, for our pastor, that, again, that you would protect him and Brother Ted Mung as they travel back uh, tomorrow, that you'd keep him safe. And we look forward to having you back here at church. We just pray now that through our service here tonight, that you would be honored and glorified. I ask for your help, that you would guide my thoughts, guide my words, and that everything that I say, Lord, would come from thee. We love you. Thank you for first loving us. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Here in 2 Kings chapter number 18, the main character that we read about is Hezekiah, king of Judah. 
And I really don't have much of an introduction outside of this context and this passage. And so tonight I really want to focus on Hezekiah and the verse that we read together, uh, first, or Second Kings chapter number 18, verse number 4. Hezekiah's main, uh, name means the Lord is my strength or strengthened of the Lord. If you've been following our pastor on Wednesday night series, you understand that he's been preaching through prophets and kings. And uh, he just uh, recently had a message on Hezekiah. And we're thankful that Hezekiah has a lot of lessons that we could learn from. In fact, let's quickly highlight some characteristics about Hezekiah that we read and learn from our passage here tonight. Notice with me in your introductory uh, introduction uh, uh, there in your notes, notice with me his family. In verse number uh, 2, the Bible says, or verse number 1, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And in verse number 2, the Bible says, Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem, his mother's name also was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And so we start off with his family. Ahaz, uh, his father, uh, was an idol worshiper. In fact, if you turn your Bibles to chapter number 16, just two chapters back of our passage, the Bible says in verse number 2 regarding Ahaz that 20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like David his father. And it says, in verse number 3, it gives to us a, a very discomforting and a very, uh, a very disheartening uh, verse regarding uh, uh, Hezekiah's dad Ahaz. It says, But he walked in the ways of the king of Israel, yea, and made his son to pass through the fire, according to the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. What a tragic to know that though Ahaz was a believer, he worshipped false idols and he worshipped uh, uh, false gods uh, that were like those of the surrounding nations around him. We notice Ahaz, the idol worshipper, but then notice his mother. His mother is introduced to us in verse number 2, whose name is Abby. Now Abby is shortened for the name Abijah, or Abiha, uh, which means Jehovah is my father. Now it's important to understand that Hezekiah probably uh, was influenced more from his mother, uh, mother and how she worshipped God uh, compared to Ahaz who worshipped false idols. And I do want to just say as in, in our introduction that it's important that husbands and wives are on the same page, amen? Especially with, uh, with spiritual convictions and spiritual responsibilities that the husband and wife would uh, identify uh, together with what the Word of God says and that they together in harmony and unity uh, would serve God and follow God and allow God's Word to structure their home and structure their children and how they raise their children for God. And it's important that if you have a spouse that's not saved, that you do your best to have a greater influence than an unbelieving spouse towards your children. We see his family. And then notice with me his faith. I like verse number 3 where it says, He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Boy, if there's anything that we uh, want to be known for, it's somebody that's doing right in the eyes of the Lord. It's somebody who, who, who has integrity and who has conviction in following God despite of the upbringing and the culture uh, that they are found in. Uh, we find somebody like Hezekiah who followed God and he did that which was right according uh, to his father uh, David, the Bible says. In verse number 5, it says that he trusted the Lord uh, in the Lord God of Israel. In verse number 6, it says he clave or he, uh, he, he clung to the Lord and he departed not from following him, but he kept his commandments. What a reputation, what a character to study about Hezekiah. He did that which was right. He trusted the Lord. He claved to the Lord. But probably the most important one is found in verse number 7. 
And the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Hezekiah knew the presence of the Lord in his business meetings. Hezekiah uh, had the presence of God uh, in, in his... Um, in his in, in, in his uh, 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 plans for the kingdom, in his plans for his armies, in his financial decisions, the Lord was with him. And boy, what a testimony and a challenge for us as believers tonight to know and to ask maybe this question, is God with us? Is God with us when we go home? Is God with us when we're at work? Is God with us when, uh, uh, when we're at school? We notice here that he had great faith, he had real faith. He wanted to please God and he wanted to do what was right. You know, sometimes I get worried for uh, when I hear Christians or people who say that they're Christians, but there is no desire to please God. I get worried when I meet people who say, yeah, I believe in Jesus and I believe in God's word, but there's no desire or there's no change in following God's word and there's no evidence of fruit. We're here in Hezekiah. We know that not only did he have the desire, but we see a fruit abounding in his account. We see his family. We see his faith. But then thirdly, we see his fervency. His faith bore fruit. His faith showed action. In fact, in verse number 4, we read it that he removed the high places, he broke the images, he cut down the groves, and then specifically it mentions here that he broke in pieces the brazen serpent. In our introduction tonight, we see that Hezekiah was a great king, a man of God, somebody who we could learn much about. But our focus tonight is not on Hezekiah. Our focus rather is on a different character an icon it's only mentioned in three different passages throughout scripture and only named once here in second kings chapter 18 our focus tonight is on nehushtan as we read about in verse 4 the brass serpent now how many of you guys like snakes can i see your hand some of you younger ones here in the room how many of you guys despise and hate snakes how many of you guys are afraid of snakes many of you all right. I think Brother Medra, uh, Reyes Medrano, uh, uh, he has a son that's trying to get rid of a four-foot-long uh, python. And so if you are interested in that, just give him a call. I'm sure he'd be glad to get rid of that in his house, right? So now we're going to talk about a brass serpent. In fact, I think I have a picture uh, on our slide there. It's a brass serpent that is sculpted on a pole. We're going to answer the question, who or what was Nehushtan? Why was he mentioned here in this passage? What is its importance and what can we learn from Nehushtan? Tonight we're going to study three lessons about this brass serpent called Nehushtan. If you're taking notes, follow along with me tonight in our message. Point number one, notice with me the previous story. Where did the story or where did this icon start? Well, if you take your Bibles or there in your notes, notice Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 to 9. Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 to 9, teaches us about the, uh, the origin or the start of this brass serpent. It says in verse number 4 of chapter 21 in Numbers, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea, that's referring to the congregation of Israel, to compass the land of Edom. And notice what it says in verse number 4, And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loadeth this light bread. 
And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord, and against thee pray unto the Lord, that he may take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Verse 8. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had uh, had bitten any man, when he had beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And so we're introduced to this previous story about this brass serpent. Notice with me in this previous story a dreadful condition. The Israelites here in chapter 21 in the book of Numbers had hit rock bottom. They're in the end of their rope and they were in a horrible, terrible situation. If you outline this passage uh, in regarding to what the Israelites were going through, notice to me how the people were shown, uh, uh, where people were dis- depressed. In fact, in chapter number 20 of Numbers, we find and read that Miriam and Aaron had just died. And we notice that they were uh, uh, rejected the promised land and were forced to wander in the wilderness. In fact, in verse number 4, the Bible says that they were discouraged because of the way. Because of their rejection into the promised land, because they refused to follow God the first time, uh, they were rejected uh, to go in the second time, and now God had judged them and caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And the Bible says that they were very discouraged because of the way they began to be depressed. The people were not only depressed, they were distressed. Their journey was hard and long. They lacked food and water according to verse number 5. And not only were they distressed, the Bible says that they were discouraged. They began to be discontent and doubtful towards God. And then notice what it says in verse number 5, that they became despiteful. In verse 5, they spake against God and they spake against Moses. The people then began to uh, become disobedient. They didn't want to follow God's will anymore. They said enough of this journey, enough of this traveling, and enough of this uh, 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 plan of God towards the journey uh, to, to the promised land. They said enough of this. They didn't want to follow the will of God anymore. They became disobedient. Can I remind all of us that hardships and trials are not an excuse for our sin? Just because we're going through a trial and when, when God judges us, it does not give us the right to complain to God and the man of God. This is what they were doing. They became despiteful and disobedient towards God and his man and servant, Moses. And then God brought judgment. The people all of a sudden became dead. In verse number 7, the Bible says that, or sorry, in verse number 6 of uh, chapter 21, much people of Israel died because of the fiery serpents. Could you imagine that scene that day? Could you imagine millions of people in Israel's congregation, all of a sudden, snakes out of every corner started to bite them, started to bite their children, started to bite their women and the men. And could you hear the crying? Could you see the bodies falling? Can you hear the shouting and the mourning? Could you see much people dying? And all of a sudden, the people became desperate. They said to Moses, Moses, pray for us. Why is it that we often only pray when we have a need? Why is it that we use prayer as our last resort? Why do we have to wait for hardships and trials and judgments from God before we confess our sins and pray? Here we find a 
dreadful condition. This dreadful condition is followed by a distinguishing cure. Moses prayed for the people. Aren't you thankful for the men and women that intercede on our behalf? Moses could have said, no, I'm not going to pray for you. Enough of your complaining, enough of your murmuring. I, I can't put up with you anymore. That's not what Moses did. In meekness of his spirit, in meekness before God, he prayed for the people. By the way, if someone needed your prayers, would it work? If somebody said, hey, can you pray for my need? Can you pray for my health? Can you pray for this situation? Brother and sister in Christ, can you pray for me? Would your prayers work? I'm thankful we have a pastor who knows how to pray. I'm thankful for my mom and dad who I saw oftentimes in the late hours of the night praying, specifically for my name, oftentimes. I'm thankful for the people who have prayed on my behalf when we should never take those people for granted and God answered Moses' prayer. He said, Moses, I want you to take the same serpent and uh, to sculpt an image of that serpent with brass and to lift it up upon a pole. And he said, Moses, I want you to go ahead and grab that pole and I want you to run through every corner of the congregation of Israel. I want you to hold that pole high and yell out, look and live, look and live. He said, children, Boys, girls, men, women, look and live. And every time they heard that, they would look at this brazen serpent. And if they were bit, the Bible says when they beheld the brass serpent on that pole, they were healed and they lived. This was the cure that God had distinguished for this situation. I love this passage in John chapter 3. So oftentimes when we read John chapter 3, we immediately turn to verse number 16. And obviously that, that is a nug, uh, the gospel in a, uh, in a nutshell. It's uh, probably the most popular verse in the Bible. But have you ever noticed what verses 14 and 15 says? It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, it was odd for Moses to have that raw, that, that pole with the brass serpent on it running around like a madman holding it up and shouting from the top of his lungs, look and live. But this was the only cure that God had established for that situation. No doctors could have healed them of their venom. There was no way they were able to extract that poison out of their body and live. It was the only distinguishable cure that God has established for that situation for the nation of Israel. And at the same time, as Moses lifted up that serpent in the Israel uh, before the congregation, it provided for us a foreshadow, a symbol, a picture of who Jesus Christ is to be and what He was supposed to do for us. Jesus Christ, as He was lifted up on that cross, became the cure for every sin soul, uh, sin cursed soul. The Bible teaches us that with Jesus there is healing. With Jesus there is cleansing. With Jesus there is forgiveness. The poison of sin has entered into the world. Its venom flows within the veins of every man. Every person born into this world is born with the curse of sin. And sooner or later from sin, eternal death will follow. Men will fall not only to the ground but into the eternal lake of fire. But only through the blood of Jesus Christ. And only through the death of Jesus Christ can those men and women with the curse of sin upon their soul be cured for ever and with eternity have forgiveness for their souls we find that jesus christ is the only way to get saved jesus christ is the only one who can forgive us of our sins and who can cure us from the curse of sin 
Religion isn't going to save you. Good works isn't going to save you. Your Christian heritage is not going to cure you of your poisonous sin. But Jesus can. Jesus lifted up high, drew men to himself, the Bible says. Nehushtan was a picture of Jesus Christ. No wonder the Israelites wanted to preserve this iconic sculpture. No wonder they wanted to keep this relic as a symbol of life, as a reminder for their sin and God's judgment. In Numbers chapter 21, we see the previous story. But then notice with me now the crux of our message, the present sin. Going back now to 2 Kings chapter 18, notice with me verse number 4. Hezekiah removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made for unto those days, the days where idol worship was prevalent among the Israelites, among those days, the children of Israel did burn incense to it, to the brass serpent. As generations passed and as the Israelites journeyed, the surrounding nations began to influence the Israelites more and more. Haven't you noticed that the longer you are out in the world, the more the world influences us? I loved the opportunity to pray with uh, Joe tonight. He said in his prayer that he was thankful to be in church because in, in church he feels refreshed to be around God's word and God's people. And he said that every time that he's not in church, he feels like he's being spiritually depleted. I like that. That's exactly how all of us should feel. Because the longer we are in the world, the longer we are around the influence of unbelievers, the longer their influence can leave their mark on us. In Israel, in their journey, in Israel, in their, in their habitation around the surrounding nations allowed the world to influence them. And one of the worst practices that they inherited and imitated from the world was idol worship. God hates idolatry. He doesn't just dislike it. He's not just turned off by it. God despises idolatry. He is offended by idol worship. All throughout the scriptures, starting from Genesis to Revelation, you'll read how much God detests worship of idols. The Israel followed suit into this sin. Notice it would be an elevated idol. They began to burn incense to it. Burning incense was an act of worship. It was an act of sacrifice. It was an act of affection and honor. And they began to provide that same act of worship that they would to God, to this brazen serpent. This serpent became a god. Little g. Tonight I want to ask us, do we have idols in our life? Is there anything or anyone that we're worshiping more or above God? Do you have idols in your homes? Do you have an idol in your car? Do you have an idol in your phone? 
Are there idols in your life tonight? I was thinking about, I was preparing for this message when Pastor and Brother Justin and I went to the Philippines and it's been a while since I've been there and I remember just how much in captivity the country of Philippines is in this matter of idol worship. I mean, it's everywhere. It's in their airports, it's in their taxis, it's in their jeepneys. They have statutes as tall as some of the buildings here in the middle of their streets. We remember walking through one of the Catholic churches. You remember that, Brother Justin? Man, it was an eerie feeling to have saints being worshipped around the building and to see a cross with Christ on it. The country of Philippines is in deep captivity of idol worship. You know, idols don't have to be sculpted figures that you place in your shelf. They don't have to be picture frames that you hang on your wall. Idols can be found in your heart and in your mind. You know, all of us has a home button in our mind. You know, when you press your iPad or your iPhone and you, or if Samsung or Android users, whatever you press in your phones and tablets, there's a home button. And whatever you're, you're doing, you can press that and it would immediately go back to this home page. Our mind has a home button or a home page. And when you're not thinking about work, when you're not thinking about your responsibilities, your mind tends to gravitate towards that thought. If it's not God, if it's something else, that could be an idol. Whatever your mind reverts back to in your free time, whatever you're thinking about while you're driving or where you're resting when you have nothing else to do, and you're thinking about something and it's dominating your affection, dominating your emotions, dominating you, That's an idol. You know, even the New Testament believers were warned about idol worship. Galatians 5, Paul writes, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, and here it is, idolatry. To the believers in Colossae, Paul writes, In Colossians 3, 5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication and cleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. We better be careful that we're not falling into the same sin as the Israelites, the sin of polytheism. If you study 2 Kings chapter number 17, the Israelites were worshipping more than just one God. In 2 Kings chapter 17, in verse number 7, it says, For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. Verse number 12, For they served idols, whereof the Lord had said unto them, Ye shall not do this thing. In verse number 15, And they rejected his statutes and his covenants that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the heathen and that were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. And they left all the commandments of the Lord their God 
and made them molten images, even two calves, and made a grove, and worship all the hosts of heaven, and serve Baal. <coughs> In verse number 33, it says, They feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. When I was reading that, I said, Did I read that rightly? They feared the Lord and served their own gods. It's like worshiping God on Sunday and then worshiping work on Monday. They feared the Lord, but they served their own gods. It's like worshiping God on Sunday, but worshiping your hobby on Friday and Saturday. Tonight, I want to ask you, do you have any idols that needs to be ridden of your life? We see here an elevated idol. Notice with me, secondly, an evil idea. Now, why does God uh, hate idolatry so much? Well, idol worship corrupts your thinking. I mean, we read about Ahaz who worship false God by causing his own children or his own people to walk through the fire. Idol worship corrupts your thinking. You know, when you worship your job or when you worship money, you begin to think that you need it more than you need God. That's corrupted thinking. It corrupts your behavior. It corrupts your character. It corrupts your affection. An idol is anything that you substitute for God. Anything that robs God of His glory. An idol is anything that you place before God. But perhaps the worst reason or the worst consequence of idol worship is that when you worship an idol it distorts the glory and character of God. You see, when you worship something else outside of God, you are distorting a proper view of who God really is. You are lowering and degrading His character, holiness, and deity. Notice what Ezekiel 14 says in verses 4 and 5. Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet, I the Lord will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols. By the way, you could have more than one idol. That I may take the house of Israel in their own heart because they are all, here it is, estranged from me through their idols. The word stumbling block is an obstacle and offense, something that causes you to fall. And God says your idol is a stumbling block. It has caused you to be estranged from me, God says. Your idols make God a stranger. How could that be with the nation of Israel? 
Do they not, do they not remember who God is? Do they not remember the, 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 the departure and the exodus from Egypt? Do they, not, do they not remember the dividing of the Red Sea, the provision in the wilderness? Do they not remember the miracles that God have done? How could God be a stranger? Because of idols. Has God been a stranger to you lately? We always tell our children, don't talk to strangers. Stranger danger, right? But with somebody you know, you feel comfortable with. And someone that you're really close to, you pour out your heart to them. But there came a point in Israel's spiritual life that God had become a stranger because of idol worship. Now, Nehushtan was a specific idol. When you think of idols mentioned in the Bible, you think about Baal or Dagon or Molech or Chemosh. But Nehushtan was not a symbol of other nations' gods. Nehushtan was a symbol of something that was good, something that was helpful and useful, something that was a blessing as we read about in Numbers chapter 21. I want you to get this. This is an important principle as we read about Nehushtan. Nehushtan was used of the Israelites as, a, as, a, as an illustration of taking something that's good and turning it into a god. Something that's good that they turned it to something bad. They took a symbol of blessing and turned it to a sinful burden. Our sinful nature is so corrupt sometimes. That God desires to bless us. God desires to help us. God desires to provide for us. But we take those provisions, those blessings, and we turn them into idols. We idolize our resources. We wake up and the first thing we do is open our phones, our computers and our tablets. We leave the house without our Bibles, but we can't leave without our phones. We brag about our shoes, our clothes, our cars, our homes. We worship our bodies, our health, our talents, our skills, our personalities, our intellect when we trust and depend on them more than we depend on God. We idolize our resources. I was looking through my wife's Instagram and I was looking at all the food posts that we did. God convicted me. You know, like a, you ever meet somebody who has to have the right picture of their meal before they eat it? That's my wife. <laughs> I'm like, come on, let's, let's go. I'm hungry. Let's eat. She's like, wait. Click, click, click. Right? God convicted me of that. When we say, I'm craving something, or I can't live without that, or I gotta have that, and I'm talking about food, even something as simple as food, we idolize it. Our, our human sinful nature is so corrupt. You know, in a church setting like this, where we experience blessing week after week, we could allow the resources that God gives us to become idols. We worship chairs, we worship instruments, we worship technology and media. They become idols. 
We idolize our relationships. Who do you love more than God? I love my son. (laughs) I love my son. And I want him to love me and his mom. I want him to love his relatives, his church members. More than anything and anyone, I want him to love God. Luke says in verse 14, 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children, brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's what Jesus said. Is there anyone in your life that you think more of, that you say you need more of, and that you say you want more of than God? Who do you love more than God? We idolize relationships. We idolize our responsibilities. How many of you guys love your job? Can I see your hand? <laughs> Not everyone in the room, okay? Well, I hope that you either begin to love your job or find a different job that you love. I love my job, okay? I think the staff members here are privileged to work here at Heritage. I love serving the Lord in the ministry, working at church, preaching. I love it. There was a time when God showed me that my responsibility in ministry cannot take place above him. It was senior year in college, and I remember there was three guys in my room, two bunk beds, one guy on top of me, I was in the lower bunk bed, and another guy who had a bed all to his own. I was like, man, lucky guy, you know? No one above his bunk. And the freshman that was above me, said to us, we were talking late at night, he said, hey, Brother Irwin, you're graduating. I said, yeah, can't wait to get out. Serve the Lord, right? (laughs) You know. (laughs) He said, is there anything that you want to do before you leave college? I was like, man, that's a good question. I'm going to, you know. And I said, well, in all honesty, I'd like to at least preach at the Preacher's Boy Contents uh, in the chapel at least this time. And this was like in the first semester. And I remember mentioning that to the freshmen that asked me. Second semester came closing to the end of the year. There's a preacher's boys contest where the men in the college will participate if they want to in a uh, preaching contest that gives them 10 minutes or less to preach a message. And hundreds of guys do this. And I was like, all right, Lord. It'd be nice to, you know, continue in, 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 in this contest and to, to be a part of the, at least the top five. And that was in my heart's desire. It was an innocent, sincere desire. I said, Lord, I really want to really do this. And so I started, when they gave us, you know, the opportunity to sign up, I, I, I prayed about what message to preach. And God laid upon my heart, 1 Kings chapter 18. And I studied that passage and God gave me uh, the context and the the passage and the the applications and the outline and he began to work in my heart and develop a sermon out of that. And I began to practice and preach it in a room uh, in college where no one was there and I would just practice it for like hours. I would preach the message out loud to an empty room and I would walk back and forth pacing it. And I said, I got, I got to make sure I end less than 10 minutes because the last two times that I was doing it, I was like 11 and 12 minutes. And I was just like, man, this is not going to work. I was like, wow, 
I was able to get it under 10 minutes and I practiced. Well, I progressed from the top whatever to like the next 30 guys. And then we had to preach again. And then they judged us. And then they gave the name of the last top five. And I read it on the list outside the chapel doors. And my name was on there. I was like, wow, praise the Lord. It's like, wow, this is reality. My dream coming to reality for Bible college. And you got to understand, I love preaching. If you're a preacher, you, there's just nothing that you'd want to do outside of it if you're called to preach. And I remember it was a day of the last preaching where they were going to decide who's one to five. And I, was, I woke up really early before the chapel service and I got to a room, I prayed, and I began to rehearse and practice my message again. And I practiced and I practiced, and all of a sudden I just stopped. And I felt very uneasy in, in my spirit. And it was like God was speaking to me and said, Erwin, you're not going to get first place. He said, you're not going to get first place. As clear as I can hear some of you speak, I heard that in my heart. God said, you're not going to get first place. And I stopped and I was like, I've turned it into an idol. Because I gave so much energy and time and it dominated my thought when I'm eating, when I'm driving, when I'm talking to somebody. It's what I rehearsed in my mind that I got to get it to a T so that I would win first place. Now, preaching is good. Listening to preaching is good. Being able to preach is good. Preaching is good. But if you're not careful, even something so good can become a God. You can take your responsibilities and worship them more than you'd worship God. Tonight, I want to encourage you to look into your own heart and ask the Lord, is there anything or anyone that you're idolizing above God? We must avoid this evil idea that we don't turn good things into God things. Because when your good things become God things, they become grievous things. You become a slave to those idols. We see here the previous story. We see, secondly, the present sin. But tonight, let's close with the proper shattering. Going back to our passage in Second Kings 18, it says in verse number 4, He removed the high places... And break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it and he called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses and the Lord was with him. And he prospered whithersoever he went forth and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. He smote the Philistines even unto Gaza and the borders thereof from the tower of the watchmen to the fence cities. What did Hezekiah do to this brass serpent? What should we do to our idols? Notice in me letter A that there was a virtuous acknowledgement. Nehushtan went into the temple where it was probably kept, or in one of the areas that they had 
consecrated a grove or high place for Nehushtan, for this brass serpent where it was being worshipped. And he came to that place of worship of this brass serpent and he said, Nehushtan! He said, brass, it's just brass. He called it for what it really was. There was a virtuous acknowledgement. Tonight, what you need to do first, if you want to get rid of your idols, is to call it for what it really is, an idol. Psalms 115 says in verse 4, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Listen, more than you need your social media, you need the Word of God. You need God more than your work, more than your skills, more than your talents, more than your personalities. You need God and what you need to do is to turn into your idols and to call it for what they really are. That compared to God, they're empty, they're vain, they're useless compared to God. There was a virtuous acknowledgement, but then there was a victorious advancement. He broke it. He got rid of it. And because of that, notice what God allowed him to experience. It says in verse number 7 that he prospered whithersoever he went forth. He rebelled against the king of Syria. He smote the Philistines in verse number 8. After he had broken this brazen serpent, he prospered in his kingdom. He withstood the Syrian captivity. He was able to smite the Philistines. He was moving forward. You ever ask yourself why you're not growing spiritually? You ever felt like you've hit a ceiling in your Christian life? Ever felt like God's presence wasn't as close as it used to be? Maybe it's because you have an idol. You need to call it for what it is. I remember back in Canada when I was growing up in my youth group. We went to youth camp in 2006 and we got five straight days of preaching. And the very last service, we were supposed to have a stick that we were to bring at the very last service. And on that stick, we're supposed to write one or multiple sins that you struggled with, that you want to surrender to God and have victory over. Some guys were like looking around and were teasing, hey, you probably need to get a really big stick for you, huh? I got my stick and I wrote my sin down. And our youth pastor preached and he preached hard. And he said, all right, what I want you to do is I want you to take your stick and throw it in the fire. Stop letting it have victory over you. Stop letting it corrupt your thinking. Stop letting it corrupt your behavior. Stop letting it dictate your schedule. Get rid of your idols. Tonight, let's do that. Let's look into our hearts and break any idols that's taken place. Let's confess to God our sin of idolatry and call it for what it really is. Nehushtan. It's just brass. It's just brass. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, thank you for tonight and 
thank you for the study here in Second Kings chapter 18. And I know, Lord, that you've used it in my heart personally to search and to expose areas of my life that I need to get right. Thank you for doing that. And I've shared with my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, the, the danger of idol worship. Would you, Lord, work in our hearts to get those things right before you tonight. Help us not to leave tonight worshiping more than you, worshiping other gods beside you, worshiping gods and false idols in our lives. Help us, Lord, to get rid of our idols so that we would advance in our fruitfulness and service and fellowship with you. And then, Lord, tonight, if there's anybody who's not saved, we pray that they would get saved. They'd realize that only Jesus Christ can save them, just like the brass serpent was the only cure. It was God's cure for the snake-bitten people. Jesus Christ is the only cure for the sin-sick soul. Put your head bowed and eyes closed. I invite you to stand tonight as we get ready for the invitation and if you're here tonight and you sense God speaking to you about this matter of idol worship maybe you're worshipping something sinful or maybe you're worshipping something good either way both of them are not God why don't you get rid of that tonight if you're here tonight and you say brother Irwin I'm I'm not sure I'm even saved If I died tonight, I'm not sure that I'd go to heaven. But I want to know. I know that there's a curse of sin in my life. I don't know how to get rid of it. I don't know how to be forgiven of my sin. But I want to know. I need help tonight. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that at all? Say, Brother Irwin, pray for me. I I need Jesus as my Savior. I'd like to pray for you. Anybody like that at all? Would you raise your hand? Well, tonight, maybe by yourself or together with your family, would you do business with the Lord in the altar and get rid of your idols? Get rid of the idols in your home. Parents, help your children tonight. Get rid of the idols that dictate their life. Spouses, husbands and wives, why don't you pray together tonight and ask the Lord to work in your life. Nehushtan. It's just brass. It's just brass. Lord, thank you for your people tonight having such a receptive spirit and for their hungerness to their hunger to draw closer to you. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the power that it has to change and direct our lives so that we could bring honor and glory to you. Forgive us, Lord, when we fall into idol worship. Draw our eyes and our affection back towards you. Help us, Lord, to worship only you, the true and living God. Help us tonight. We love you. Thank you for being patient and long-suffering towards us and for your forgiveness. Thank you so much, Lord, for being such an awesome God. This we pray in your name. Amen.
All right, thank you for being here tonight. And just uh, some closing announcements, if you could, please. All men are needed to help stack just the center sections. We're going to have some recording uh, the next few days here. So if I could have the men uh, to help stack uh, the, the chairs, the dollies, I believe, are in that back right corner. Uh, so please use those. And then if I could have the ladies just to help remove uh, maybe some of the things that are on the chairs. And then children, if you could just please uh, uh, congregate uh, to the side of the building and not get in the way. We don't want anybody getting hurt for that. And then all ladies are needed to gather envelopes and commitment cards. Are those for the chairs, I'm guessing? Yep. So those are for the chairs. If the ladies can help gather the envelopes and the commitment cards, and then let's put them in a stack by the uh, the lobby table. Uh, we'd appreciate your help. And then faith promise commitments. We made mention of this. If you haven't turned in your faith promise pledges, uh, you can still do that today or this coming Sunday. Uh, and if you have turned that in, be faithful in, in giving of your commitment there. And then please be with us uh, uh, this Saturday for our soul winning. Uh, we're going to go knock some doors and uh, get, invite uh, more folks to come to our church. And uh, almost every Sunday we're seeing uh, new visitors come to church because of soul winning. And we praise the Lord for that. So uh, please be in prayer for that and join us if you can. Other than that, we've already prayed and dismissed uh, uh, for, for dismissal. If you need anything, please see the staff and the deacons. We'd love to pray for you about that. Thank you so much for being here. You're dismissed.